Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Monday, March 25th, 2019. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting and leaky black. Matt Norlander is here with me in the Sweet 16 to set. Every number one seed, number two seed, and number three seed in each regional is still alive, and all we have left are top four seeds, plus Auburn and Oregon, and Auburn and Oregon were 11th and 14th in the preseason AP poll. In other words, the only things left are top four seeds, or preseason top 15 teams. Cinderella is MIA. If you're wondering, I have 14 of the 16, sweet 16 teams correct in my bracket. My misses are at Maryland instead of LSU, had the Anteaters instead of Oregon, but everything else is right. Meantime, Norlander has 12 of the 16, sweet 16 teams correct in his bracket, and I only brought this up because my bracket is better than his bracket. Otherwise, I would have just ignored it. Norlander, how are you on this Monday afternoon? Would you like to provide your opening thoughts on this chalky 2019 NCAA tournament. My opening thoughts is, uh, is if you go to cbssports.com or bring it up on your app, you can also check out our expert picks, and that's where I'm kicking GPs. But I'm 30 and 22 against the spread. Parrish, he's a few games behind, so you're going to have to make up for uh, for lost time on that NGP. Great job getting 14 out of a 16 in a chalky bracket. You're like 95% of other people in America right now. No boasting about brackets allowed when it is statistically. As chalky as as it has ever been in the history of this event. So great job. You weren't daring. I don't fault you for that. But you don't get to step out onto the stage and say, "Look at me, look at me." When so many people have at least fourteen out of sixteen. That's my well, thought. Well, I would argue that yes, I do because um, I'm the one who gets to talk first on the podcast, and I can say whatever I want. I know, but I'm saying you can do that, and there's another. Eight million people who can say the same. If if you had Irvine, but, but, but one of, one of them's not you. One of them is not me. However, against the spread, give your boy some love here. Doing 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 all right on that trend. You can check our picks against the spread throughout the tournament on CBSSports.com. Here's my overall thought. This is awesome for weekend number two, which is the obvious thing. But not only is it awesome, I had to power rank out these. Receive the Sweet 16. Hold the all right, GP. Um, went back and looked at some Sweet 16s over the past 15 to 20 years in doing so, did a quick scan, tried to remember each individual tournament and put those teams in context. And this is, to me, this is the strongest field second weekend I think we've ever had. You can say college basketball was better in 1987 or 1995 or 2004. That's fine. Uh, Maybe a three seed in 1988 is better than a three seed in 2019. Whatever. I don't need to get too deep into that. What I can tell you is that this field right now, all the top 14 teams at Ken Palm, the ones and twos and threes, this is as strong as a Sweet 16 slate as I think we've ever had. So that is not a bad exchange for not getting into Irvine. I would have loved to have Irvine in Louisville. Won't get them. I'll get the Ducks instead. Would have loved to have Irvine. Would have loved to seen even a, a nicely seated Buffalo or a Wofford break on through, but we don't even get that. But instead, we get a lot of really, really good teams and have essentially almost guaranteed ourselves of a really strong Final Four no matter what. That's the way I look forward in not surprising us by giving us all of these favorites. The bracket and tournament actually ends up surprising us because it almost never ends up like this. Yeah, one of the points I made last night on CBS Sports Network is that because you saw it on social media yesterday, I guess Twitter uh, more so than anywhere else. Uh, this is boring. Uh, you know, all the higher seeded teams are winning. Cinderella's dead, and I can acknowledge that we could have used some more buzzer beaters or Cinderella stories or the things that most people associate with the NCAA tournament. But the byproduct of having a boring first and second round is you have an awesome Sweet Sixteen and Elite Eight because. As you point out, almost regardless of, of what happens, uh, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday of this week, um, I mean, we're going to have awesome uh, – we do have awesome Sweet 16 matchups. We're going to have awesome Elite 8 matchups. And the Final Four, looks like it looks like it's going to be a heavy hitter against a heavy hitter and a heavy hitter against a heavy hitter. Yeah, and getting there will be uh, interesting because we'll see how it breaks. Will we'll seats hold a form? Will they not? I, you know, will we get one versus two in every in every corner of the bracket? I don't think so, but um, at least that is in that is in doubt. Given and we'll go you know through the regions and talk about what just happened here on Saturday and Sunday, of course. But given the fact that you had uh, one team in the East that had to squeak on through, a team in the South that had to squeak on through, a team in the Midwest that had to squeak on through. And then the West is really where it's just there was no doubt about it. All four teams uh, really rolled, which I think 
uh, is representative of what we said on the Selection Sunday podcast. The West is really has a case as the strongest region, and now in, in getting its uh, its one through four moving along the way it did sets up really competitively out in Anaheim. I'm I'm psyched for it, and uh, and I can't wait to get the Thursday night. I will be in Louisville, so I will be at the Oregon Virginia game, which is the first tip, and then Purdue versus Tennessee. Those are the ones I will see in person. And if you're trying to keep track of all this. Um, Louisville gets Thursday, and uh, Anna, out West Anaheim gets uh, gets Thursday. The Gonzaga, Florida State, uh, Texas Tech, Michigan game. So that's that's your Thursday stuff. And then Friday is Auburn, UNC, Houston, and Kentucky out in Kansas City. And then of course you've got LSU, Michigan State, and then Duke and Virginia Tech in DC on Friday night. Well, when I filled out my bracket, like minutes after the bracket being published on Selection Sunday, I did have, and I didn't realize I was doing it. When I was doing it, I just sort of looked up at the end and I was like, oh, okay, I just did this. Because um, I was just looking at teams, games, okay, I'll take this team, and then the bracket's the bracket. But I had every regional final being a number one versus a number two. And now we're like, we're halfway there. Like, it's it's almost close to being a reality, which would be, um, I guess, undeniably unusual, but... I don't think that's surprising given this year because the teams that are one seeds and two seeds in this bracket. So we're talking about Duke, Michigan State, Gonzaga, Michigan, Virginia, Tennessee, North Carolina, and Kentucky. Those teams have been the the best teams in the country for a significant portion of this season. I went back and looked at the top 25 and one on February 1st and those eight teams that are one seeds or two seeds in this bracket were all in the top nine of the top 25 and one on February 1st. In other words, these teams that are doing well and were seeded accordingly have been doing well and established themselves as that type of team for a long time. And so I, I, I just sort of looked at the, the college basketball season and recognized, and again, we're, we're almost there that the top, seven, eight, nine, ten teams in a country separated themselves from everybody else pretty early on in this season, or at least more than a month ago. And they carried that over throughout February and into March. And so it really shouldn't be surprising that these are the teams that look like the real national championship contenders because they looked this way a long time ago and they never really slipped up too much. Um, I, I can't remember what I was talking here or somewhere else, but one of the things I said after Selection Sunday but before the tournament got started was that I did not think when we got to the Final Four and especially the National Championship game, we'd look up and go, oh, wow, I can't believe that team's here, the way we do sometimes. I I have for a while thought that when we get to the Final Four or the Championship game, and especially the Championship game, we'd say – if you told me no matter who's playing in the championship game, if you said, hey, it's this team against that team, that the reaction would be, yeah, I could see that. They always look like they could get here. I don't think there's any surprises this year. And, uh, you know, through through the round of 32, there really aren't any surprises. I agree. And what you're hitting on, I completely agree with, because in building out the power rank, like you do the daily updated rankings. I had to do the power rankings every Thursday. Uh, GP, for me, it really felt like once we hit about mid-January, and you never know how the the season's going to shake out, but uh, I I thought that there was about a, a top twelve or so. Like I, I, you've heard maybe six teams can win the national championship. There, there's a top eight in the two line. I actually thought that when you got into that three line level, when you're considering Houston and you're considering LSU, and yeah, Texas Tech drops that far when you're considering them as well. Um, I thought that that all those teams kind of separated themselves, and we had a a line of differentiation there. Um, and we are seeing that play out. By the way, this does not mean that the committee. Uh, you know, seeded correctly. I mean, largely we agree it did, but does that mean every other year we don't have this, that it, this committee seeded incorrectly? Of course not. So it's just the way the bracket broke. It's it's unlikely that it ever does break like this, but um, it is the second time uh, that we have seen uh, the top four, uh, one, two, three, five, and one, two, three, twelve 
break on through to the other side and get to the second weekend there. So so uh, so keep that in mind. And also, if you are curious on this, as GP mentioned, uh, he has the one versus the two in all of his regional semifinals. Uh, if, if that were to happen, that would be a first. At least it would be a first in the in the what we call the modern era. Since 1985, when the field expanded to 64 teams, um, I didn't check and see if those you know mid to late 70s up until 84, when it was a smaller field. I don't even think it's happened then. But if there was a one versus two in all of those, um, not as big of a field, so you're more likely to get it. Uh, the tournament, as we grew up uh, knowing and loving, has never had all elite eight games be one versus two. The possibility is there. I don't think we're going to get that. I think at least one of those uh, one of those ones or twos is getting bounced on Thursday or Friday. Was that an intentional or unintentional Jim Morrison reference? Intentional. You still listen to the Doors? No, I do not. Actually, I think the Doors are not are, are not all that good. But I just I just snuck it in there. <laughs> I think the Doors are the the band that everybody listens to when they're in high school, like regardless of age. And then, like after you get thirty, you don't listen to them ever again. Yeah. I agree. Roadhouse Blues is fun to play live. Um, people are strange, still kind of kind of decent, um, but for the most part, nah. I I I I pass that door stage. See the door. You get into the doors, and then you move along, and then you find Floyd and Zeppelin, and those kind of stick with you through college. And I actually still really enjoy both those bands. But there's a pro- there's a progression with all all of that stuff. There's there, there are these certain. Uh, Rock act staples, classic rock that uh, that uh, many uh, American youth go through. But yeah, I've I've long since passed on the doors. So I think we agree on that. So last podcast, we took it region by region and just bounced around inside each region, and that seemed to work. So let's do that again, starting in the East Regional because the East Regional is where Duke resides. And what a round of 32 game that was between the Blue Devils and UCF. Duke was down three in the final minute against UCF. Zion Williamson got a bucket and a fifth foul on tackle fall. Um, Pulled Duke within one. Missed the free throw. Then R.J. Barrett got a rebound. He probably would not have gotten if Taco hadn't just fouled out. Uh, He puts that back in. Duke got a one-point lead. B.J. Taylor missed a runner in the final seconds. Aubrey Dawkins missed the putback. Either ball could have gone in. The second attempt like looked like it was really going in. Didn't. So Duke moves on, and it'll be Duke-Virginia Tech in one Sweet 16 game in the East, LSU-Michigan State in the other. How wild was that Duke-UCF game? Wild. Best game of the tournament. Um, if, you're, if you're a UCF fan or if you found yourself rooting for UCF to win, which I'm sure many of our listeners did, um, <laughs> I thought Duke was going to escape no matter what. I even I put it in Slack or Slack chat about two and a half minutes ago in the game. I said Duke is going to escape. I just thought that I I could not see a universe in any simulation that Duke was going to not get out of the first weekend. Uh, it's rough because Taco Fall fouls out with 14, 15 seconds to go. If he's on the court, RJ Barrett isn't getting that offensive rebound. He's not putting it back for the go-ahead bucket. So that's brutal. Then um, you have Aubrey Dawkins just tantalizingly uh, not being able to put the ball back. Um, someone shared a, a video on social, which is good. Last year in regulation, Grayson Allen had a ball just dance off the rim, sent the game to overtime against Kansas in what was the best game of that tournament. Uh, so it fell the wrong way for Duke last year. Uh, it, f- it falls the right way in the wrong way for Duke this season. Um, so they, they managed to get out of there. Aubrey Dawkins, credit to him, played the game of his life looked incredible in that one I thought the Duke uh Duke the Zion versus Taco matchup largely lived up to the hype I don't have an issue with Taco fall falling out by the way because he uh he he did have a foul that wasn't called a foul at one point so you you just kind of take your chances with that and I was super entertained by that that game that's the best game of the tournament I'd rank real quick I'd rank that Auburn New Mexico State Wofford Kentucky Tennessee Iowa and LSU Maryland, I think it's like the five for sure best games of the tournament so far. Put them whatever order you want, and then a lot of the other stuff has just kind of been a ah, just kind of a kind of a mixed stew there. But great on UCF to give us a good game, and when we really needed it. I mean, Iowa Tennessee had happened earlier in the JGP, but uh, but that really came uh, it was a sight for sore eyes. Otherwise, in the region, um, I'll let you speak to LSU uh, Maryland if you like, but that was obviously a really good one. Um, I was on my way to Hartford. I missed the very end of that game, so uh, so you can uh, you can speak to the end of it. I did not watch it live. Uh, Michigan State had no issues, as as I'm sure almost everyone thought. They moved on without a problem in the East, and then Virginia Tech, a little annoyance from Liberty early, but it moves along to play uh, to play Duke, obviously in DC on on Friday. Do you give Virginia Tech a chance against Duke? Because now people 
it, it's funny. This is the way the tournament goes, I guess. Um, uh, before last Thursday, it's nobody can beat Duke. Zion's a monster. You know, Duke's the, the, the overwhelming favorite in Las Vegas to win a national championship. And because Duke looks so vulnerable and was obviously vulnerable um, against UCF. I mean, that UCF team is not good. I mean, Well, I shouldn't say that. They are good. But they they were barely in the top 25 at any point this season. I never, not even one day, had them in the top 25 and won. And yet they had, they had Duke on the ropes. Like, they, they should have won the game. I mean, and, and so now people have switched to um, Duke has a, a fatal flaw, which is perimeter shooting or whatever else you point to off of these first two games. And now... I saw it on social media. I was talking to people in studio. Uh, there are folks who now think Virginia Tech is going to beat Duke. Do you actually think Duke doesn't get to Minneapolis now? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't have Duke winning this bracket. Um, I've had Michigan State, and I almost took – so before we – you know, when we got the bracket, I almost took Virginia Tech over Duke. So I thought that this was a possibility even before the Duke scare here. If anything, maybe I'm more – uh, you know, psych myself out in this GP. I'm, I'm less in on Virginia Tech beating Duke now because uh, not that Duke wasn't you know fully invested in all that, but it feels like the antenna might be up even a little uh, a little stiffer at this point for the Blue Devils. But it really might come down to threes. I mean, if, if Virginia Tech, which is one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country, shoots well, Duke doesn't. Can it overcome? You know, just an average game again from Cam Radish and UCF dared Trey Jones to shoot. He eventually got a three. But um, there's a reason why they're going to dare him to shoot. So can they do that again? Like, can they really ride Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett? Because they, no, they have no depth. Um, we'll see. I expect it to be a close game. Yeah, I think they can pull it off. Um, I, I can't go so far as to predict it, although I'd, I'd love to. Uh, but I, I will not because I, I think Duke's going to edge it out. Just barely, though. Uh, so uh, you get Duke, Virginia Tech, and then in the other game, it's LSU against Michigan State. LSU in the Sweet 16 without Will Wade, which is, um, I, I think, been overshadowed a little bit in this tournament because there's so many other tremendous stories elsewhere. But uh, Tony Bimford taking LSU to the Sweet 16 is is kind of an interesting story. They obviously get there um because Tremont Waters gets to the rim in the final seconds against Maryland. Um, this, this LSU, when does it become a, not just a story you and I talk about, but a story that our neighbors are talking about LSU with a suspended coach who will probably be asked to testify in federal court, you know, within the next month, LSU in the sweet 16, LSU in the elite eight, LSU in the final four. When does that become a big talking point? I, th I think final four. Now it, it gets bigger with each round, obviously. I mean, it, it, there was plenty of, of noise around this as, as the brackets even came out. And then you get to the gameplay in general. And then you've got LSU playing. I mean, it, it was close against Yale, but I don't know if they were threatened. But enough to keep you intrigued. And then, you know, high-profile standalone game on Saturday. They're able to push past Maryland just barely. Uh, and Waters getting to the getting to the cup the way it did what he did was uh, was impressive. And I know Skyler Mays had a, a pretty big three beforehand. Uh, so I think we are getting closer and closer to that point. Um, <laughs> because as as this drags along and there are fewer and fewer games, uh, we're just going to gravitate to the the most interesting things to talk about. And LSU doing this without its head coach is undeniably interesting. Um, would love to know is like Will Wade just chilling at his house watching these games? Is he like traveling on the download to the same city and just like watching from a team hotel? Uh, I'd I'd love to know uh, how Will Wade is you know taking all of this in. I'm sure it's uh, I'm sure you know it's got to be. In a, in a way, just completely agonizing to 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 just be sitting out and watching your guys do this. I know he has not a lot of sympathy from people listening to the podcast. I get that in general, but just you know, from his perspective and his perspective alone, uh, you work <laughs> you work in in allegedly many ways to get to this point where you have a team that's capable of making the second weekend and even the final four. And now you're no longer there. It is it is a riveting storyline, even if obviously a lot of that comes with um, some you know highly negative headlines. Well, it's your dream as a head coach, I would imagine, when you get into this profession. You, you, you want to have a team that's capable of getting to a Final Four, capable of winning a national championship, and Will gets that team, and now he's not allowed to coach it. And obviously, he, he it at least appears, maybe, got that team in violation of NCAA rules. That's certainly what the feds think. And... um. 
the idea that he's unwilling to speak to even his bosses about it is, um, you know, it, it doesn't shine a good light on it, but it, it must be, I, I, the word probably isn't torture, but torture on some level to to watch the team that you assemble, let's just say, whether it was legal or illegal, in violation of rules or not, the team you assembled, um, you know, in the Sweet 16 with a real chance to go to a Final Four and and you can't be anywhere close to it. That's just this this tournament is providing a lot of uh a lot of atypical storylines and I would put that you know near the top of the list. The East will have a heavy media contingent um because of Duke alone, but the the LSU facet of this as well uh will will probably bring in uh, particularly not just because of the story but where the the actual games are being played. Uh I would think you'll have a a few reporters who who don't typically attend these kind of things uh on site there in DC. So we'll we'll offer predictions on Wednesday's podcast because obviously we don't play any games again until Thursday. But uh, in the East, it's going to be Duke against Virginia Tech, LSU against Michigan State. Um, the winner of the East Regional, either Duke, Virginia Tech, LSU, or Michigan State, going to play the winner of the West Regional. So we'll get into the West next. But first, check this out. Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do. Like me, taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. So we didn't get John Morant in the Sweet 16 of the West Regional Florida State eliminated Murray State, uh, but the byproduct of that is we got Gonzaga, Florida State, and Texas Tech, Michigan. It's the number one seed, the number two seed, the number three seed, and the four seed. Norlander, is that boring or great? I think it's great. Um, I think it's great because Gonzaga has looked like the best one seed so far. If you take its results and the way it's played its pair of games, it has looked the best of the one seeds. Uh, it gets to a fifth straight Sweet 16. That's the best in college basketball active. Kentucky and Michigan are in second place with three straight appearances in the second weekend. Texas Tech, what it did against Buffalo was extremely impressive. Buffalo at one point led 25-24. Uh, I was doing other things and watching three games. I lost track of the uh, the game for a minute. I look up and it was like 58 to 30 or something insane like that. It's so impressive what uh, Texas Tech was able to do because Buffalo, uh, I maintain for most of the season, that was a top 20 team. And just because it lost by Texas to Texas Tech by that margin, I don't even think it eliminates it from that uh, from that conversation, that kind of ranking. That's just how good Texas Tech is, the number one defense in America. Tip of the cap to Chris Beard. Michigan, similarly, drama-free weekend. Uh, got by uh, Montana and then Florida without much of a hassle there. Um, so they'll play each other. Those are the the top two defenses in America. And then um, Florida State gets by Murray State, so I was obviously on hand for that game. It started off so much fun. Uh, John Morant f- hit his he hit his first five three-pointers, but I think the first four came in the first 10 minutes. Florida State was answering, but Murray State had an early lead. It looked like we were on track for what could be like one of the five best games of the tournament. And then what happened was Florida State had statistically its best half of the season, dropped 50 points, 
uh, was really like the way that it was executing and shooting. It it really started to look like it was an NBA team playing a college team because they looked so terrific um, and rallied for their teammate Phil Kofer, who was there. Uh, we spoke about it on the previous podcast. Recently, just lost his father a matter of days ago. Um, Florida State looked great. John Morant played well even in defeat. He did solidify because he had enough assists in that game to become the first player ever to average at least 20 points and 10 assists in a season. Assists started as an, uh, as an official statistic in 83-84. So if we had the stats from, say, the 50s on, I think there might be one or two other players that actually might qualify for that. But officially, it's Morant and Morant alone. Um, he will leave Murray State with that, with a tournament win, uh, as being you know, one of those just classic small school guys who turned himself into uh, an elite uh, an elite pick and had the tournament success to boot plus the triple-double. There's only been 17 of those ever in the NCAA tournament. Um, real quick before I throw it back to you, GP, I did have a video I sent out there that subsequently went insanely viral uh, of Morant giving him uh, his shoes to a young boy. The boy actually wound up being the son of a Purdue assistant. Morant didn't realize that at the time, but he was sitting right behind the Purdue bench. But what was interesting to me about all this is, so the game ends, there's all this media availability, and Morant talks at the podium, he talks in the locker room, all this, and then uh, some time passes, and I'm actually speaking with Murray State coach Matt McMahon kind of off to the side for, for just a few minutes, and he goes, hey, leave me you might want to catch this he's about to give his shoes to to a kid out there and I didn't realize Morant was going to do that he's done it a lot this season which I think is an awesome tradition frankly if we look up GP in five years and see if this has kind of become a thing I don't think Morant started it in fact I think we've had uh pro hoopers kind of do this but it seems to be gaining some steam here uh maybe this will be the thing that really uh makes it sort of a commonplace thing anyway point is there was about ten and a half minutes to go in the first half of Villanova Purdue, and he was waiting for the for the under eight media timeout. And think about it: you just lost by twenty eight points. Your team got uh, decimated and embarrassed. It would have been completely reasonable if he was like, uh, you know what? Like this is going to be like four or five minutes. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna head out, get back to the bus, get get back on home. But he stayed there, talked with the security guard, had one of his teammates there. They were all kind of like gathering up all the Murray State NCAA tournament memorabilia stuff. And I was just kind of standing there waiting. I was like, you know what? I want to try and grab this on video. It might be a really cool moment. And sure enough, it was. And he's got such great character about him. When he stepped out into the arena, the crowd slowly but surely noticed what was going on. And, you know, I'd say about 25%, if not more, of the arena suddenly realized, like, oh, wait, John Morant, he's still here. Like, the GP, the game ended 50 minutes before, so everyone would have thought that the team had left. So it was a nice little surprise for him. And then after he gave the shoes and took the photo and all that stuff, he walked back out and out of the arena, got a standing ovation from the fans. It was a really cool moment that I think if you uh, if you asked him 15 years from now, I think John Morant will still – clearly remember what happened there because it was uh it was an awesome moment so a little bit behind the scenes of the video i shared there which was uh which was another highlight in spite of a loss for murray state and morant who is almost certainly off to the nba and should be a top three pick would you take him number two i think i would and i will say this gp about six weeks ago before we started doing a podcast morant had had an awesome game and you had said morant's gonna be a top five pick and at that point i was like yeah, that's just not gonna happen i didn't think he would get to this point i thought he'd be a top 10 pick maybe flirt with like six or seven at that point but I, I I was wrong this he is so clearly demonstrated such a uh, a multifaceted game and he he had his he had his issues defensively in that in that game GP and I saw just a little more uh, conversation about his defense and to that I say how is Trey Young doing this year check in on Trey Young right now only behind Luka Doncic for rookie of the year right now huge questions about his defense last season. It's uh, I get that. That's a factor in all of it. Who is stopping Ja Morant? He is a better prospect than Trey Young was a year ago. Now, Trey Young's a better shooter, there's no doubt about it. But Ja Morant creates more offense. He averaged more assists, is more athletic, better rebounder, longer, rangier. Trey Young's an awesome player and was a great college basketball player for a year. Ja Morant had a better season this season. Even though he didn't lead the country in points, he did lead it by a wide margin in assists. So, yes, my answer to you is I would take him second, uh, and we'll get to the draft stuff after the season. But my prediction, though, no matter what happens with Duke, even if they lose to Virginia Tech or they win the national title, I feel like between now and when we get to June, that Barrett is just going to barely edge him out. I think Barrett will go two and then Morant will go three. I think Morant goes two, Barrett goes three. Um, and I would not have said that. Even when I was saying John Morant's going to be a top five pick or top ten pick, um, I didn't think he'd be a top two pick. But when he's out there knocking down step-back threes, that, that's all I need to see. 
Like, he can do everything else. He's a willing and great passer. Um, he can obviously get to the rim uh, against just about anybody. He's explosive. Um, you know, an incredible athlete. And now he can hit step back threes. And, and I'm not worried about the defense. Trey Young's a great example. Also, by the way, the reigning NBA MVP, you, you st- like there's YouTube videos mocking him about the way he can't play defense. But he's the reigning MVP. And he might win another one this year. Yeah. And it's because, it, not that defense doesn't matter, but it doesn't, a, a, a inability to lock somebody up, it does not prevent you from being an NBA superstar from being an NBA champion, from being an NBA MVP. And so, like, that's what – it's a check mark in the negative column, but there's so many positives. I, I think I go Zion 1, and I think everybody goes Zion 1. But John Moran, I, I, I believe I'd go number 2 right now. I, w- I would, too. Um I, I would too. I just I, I like him overall more than Barrett. That's just that that's me. I I get the sense though. There's a lot to like about Barrett. I just get the sense. Maybe I'll be wrong, but I think that he's going to wind up going too. We'll have to wait and see how that uh, pre-draft process evolves. So that West Regional, Gonzaga, Florida State, and by the way, on Florida State, um, sixteen and two, past eighteen games, only losses in that stretch to North Carolina and Duke. I mean, this really is like the quietest awesome run that a college basketball team could ever go on and it's because they play in the same league as North Carolina Duke so you're always overshadowed they don't have some one and done awesome freshman they don't have an obvious all-american um they don't have a lottery pick probably don't have a first round pick but 16 and 2 over an 18 game span with the lone losses to North Carolina Duke i am you know Leonard Hamilton took this team straight to the Elite Eight last season. And now he's got him in a in a very realistic place to maybe get to another one. Uh, I know we've touched on Florida State and Leonard before, but you can't overstate the, the job he's doing there right now a little bit off of the national radar for college basketball fans. Uh, I agree with that. And um, it, watching them up close uh, for two games, Vermont gave them a nice push, but the size and athleticism are undeniable. And uh, I reseeded the Sweet 16 that's on your CBS Sports app or CBSSports.com. Please give it a click and uh, help our business there. I think you'll enjoy it as well to help you uh, hold you over until we get to the games. What I wrote in the Florida State capsule was if it shoots the way that it was able to shoot against Murray State, and there's no guarantee it can keep doing that. But if it does, it is one of the six best teams in America. It it is that good uh, and that much of a challenge to the rest of the sport. So um, Gonzaga will have its hands full. We'll obviously preview that one on the next podcast. Those teams met in last year's and tournament as well. Uh, I'm very excited for that game. I think that actually is a top three matchup of Thursday and Friday. So let's get to the South Regional. Uh, that's going to be in Louisville. Norlander is going to be there. It's Virginia, Oregon, Tennessee, Purdue. Vols beat Iowa in OT to get here after squandering a 25-point lead. Uh, Virginia, Oregon, uh, I think, could maybe be decided in the 50s, even the 40s. Uh, Norlander, your thoughts on the Sweet 16 in the South. You'll be there. I will be there. Excited to land on Wednesday. Um, Virginia, Oregon's the weirdest one. And maybe it's the weirdest because I think Virginia's the best team in the tournament. And I think Oregon is the worst team. And by the way, Oregon's hot. But if you're really taking into, into account the entire season, like there's no argument. Oregon is, is a firm 16 on any uh, reseeding, power ranking, whatever you want to have it. Now, they played really well. They... Uh, watched Irvine come back on them with a big run, take a lead, and then said, nope, that ain't happening, and put the boot on the neck and the Anteaters. <laughs> Poor Anteaters, man. They were looking like they might actually do something there. Didn't happen. Oregon moves along. I doubted that they would even beat Wisconsin. Credit to, uh, to Dana Altman and the Ducks because they got that done. I saw ESPN's Chris Falica, the Bear, who does a lot of stuff with game day. Uh, he tweeted on Sunday night, Dana Altman is the only coach ever uh, to coach uh, a team as a 12 seed to the second weekend twice. So he has done that here with these Ducks who Peyton Pritchard had a couple of just killer threes. Kenny Wooten, he's Jordan Bell 2.0. He's been, uh, he's, been, uh, he's been fantastic. So credit to Oregon for turning its back on the Pac-12 and looking nothing like a Pac-12 team. So I don't know what's gotten into that group, but they look really good. That's a great defensive matchup. Uh, we'll save the preview deeper uh, for the Wednesday podcast. And as for uh, the two teams that are going to play, uh, with Tennessee and Iowa, that 
like if you're if you're te- like if you're a Tennessee fan, like I still think Tennessee is really 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 good. I think they're one of the five or six best teams in America. But like Colgate made them sweat. Iowa gets the game to OT. Um, and before you know, even before I get to the Purdue thing, I I want your immediate response on this GP. Like I don't know if it's a good thing. Like I praise Rick Barnes for trusting his team and trusting Admiral Schofield. But Admiral Schofield, after people wondered on Twitter why the hell he wasn't playing in the game because he didn't ha- conceivably have any sort of injury. Now, he had some foul issues, but you're in overtime. Like, that goes out the window. And then afterward, our own Kyle Boone, not Kyle Porter, Kyle Boone, uh, passes along from uh, from the press conference that uh, Rick Barnes said, no, Admiral Schofield uh, said that I should keep Kyle Alexander on the floor. He insisted on it. He thought that we were a better a team with Kyle Alexander out there. That... Tons of credit to Admiral Schofield. You are a senior. It's the tournament. Like, you might never play again, and you have that much confidence. Uh, I rave about that. And I think it's good for Rick Barnes, but if Tennessee loses, he is getting annihilated for that decision. What were your thoughts on that, Parrish? Well, in real time, I was like, why is Admiral Schofield not in the game? And I know that he took the questionable jumper in the final minute of regulation, but it it did – it did give Tennessee a two-for-one opportunity, although I don't know that you want that in that moment uh, when you're when you're up a bucket. But either way, like, okay, regulation's done. We're going to overtime. I'm going to have Admiral Schofield on the court. Like, he's one of your top two players, one of the best players in America. I, 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 I didn't understand why Admiral wasn't on the court. But I when I tweeted about it, I tweeted it um, with words – purposely picked i didn't say rick barnes was stupid not to have admiral schofield on the court or crazy or dumb or whatever i said i i was confused why do you not have admiral schofield on the court and so somebody asked him the question i don't know whether it was kyle either boone or porter or somebody else um but cal boone did did tweet it and he explained rick did that admiral said keep cal washington in the game you know, like, let, let's keep going with these guys. These guys are playing well. These guys are in a rhythm. Coach, keep them on the court. Keep me off the court. And I, uh, I I think that does nothing but speak well of Admiral Schofield because we know he's not afraid of the moment. He's had so many big moments. So he wasn't um, removing himself from the moment because he was afraid of the moment. He, he uh, best I can tell, sincerely believed those things if you believe what Rick Barnes said. The question becomes, if you're Rick Barnes, do you say, okay. <laughs> or do you, or do you just say what? What are you talking about? Go get on the court. We have to win this game, or our season's over. And you're awesome. Um, I, I think I would have still. I think I would have said, "Hey, Admiral, that's a nice thing for you to say. Yeah. I, I appreciate it, but we're, we're going to try to win this thing with you." But at least it gives Rick an out to the question: Why wasn't Admiral Schofield playing in the in overtime? He he can say, "Listen, I I was going to put him. I didn't bench him." I was going to put him in the game. And he said, Coach, we got this. Let these guys handle this. They got it. And then they jumped on him so quick and quickly in overtime that it wasn't like a possession-by-possession possession, you yeah. know, tug-of-war. Uh, Tennessee, after about 90 seconds of overtime, it looked like they had the game in control. But it, it is, I would, I, I'd be interested to know what other coaches think about that. Do you trust your players when they say something like that or do you veto your players and say that's a nice thing to say, but you need to get on the court? A lot of a lot of coaches would veto. Now, if it had backfired, I don't think we would have ever found this out because I don't think Rick Barnes throws Admiral. He wouldn't have been throwing him under the bus, but I just don't think he allows that to go public unless Admiral Schofield then says in the in the locker room, and that's the way we find out. Um, for Barnes in particular, though, he is uh, he has been a really good coach for a long time, but he's had NCAA tournament uh, shortcomings and and lack of success there. So in that moment, uh, a big uh, a big decision from him. The other game, real quick, uh, in Hartford. Um, well, first of all, I had uh, a lovely couple come up to me after Purdue just stomped Villanova as I was trying to file something um, and uh, just got my attention. They just wanted to pass along. They, they're from Western Mass. Apologies for not, for not remembering your names. You were so nice. Uh, but they wanted to say they love the podcast um, and uh, couldn't wait for the next episode to come out, et cetera. So uh, do appreciate that. Always, whenever we see listeners uh, at games and stuff, thank you. It is, it is sincerely appreciated. And I uh, just wanted to give you a little quick shout there. Purdue wins. I'm doing the John Morant stuff. Um, I don't even get back out to the floor until, like, I don't know, 
five and a half minutes are left, and Purdue's stomping them. It actually reminded me of the Final Four last year when the Michigan beat Loyola, and I got caught up back there. I walk out onto the floor, and it's like <laughs> Paris Nova was up like 31-8 to eight or something on Kansas. And so I asked Jay Wright in the postgame, I said, listen, a year ago, what Purdue did to you in the first half, you did to Kansas. I wondered if that kind of popped into your mind and you kind of realized that you were on the uh, the receiving end of uh, kind of an aberrational uh, butt-whooping like that. And he said, I, it did. I tried not to let it stay there, but it did it did come into play. Uh, Villanova continues to streak since 07. The reigning national champions have not gotten past the second uh, round of the NCAA tournament. This was the second worst margin of defeat for a reigning national champion in the NCAA tournament the next year. Michigan in 1990 has the worst. Uh, Purdue won 87-61. Carson Edwards set the XL Center record for most three-pointers in a game with nine, breaking Ray Allen's mark. Uh, he had 42. Awesome performance from him and a great performance from Purdue. They looked awesome in both of their games. I will see them in person in Louisville, so credit to Matt Painter and that Boilermakers team, which has been a top-10 Ken Palm team for over two months now. So I know it's has, it has a high loss total, relatively speaking, but the metrics have been relatively in on Purdue versus the rest of the sport, and it proved those metrics right. I think right now Chris Beard at Texas Tech is probably the guy I would vote for for National Coach of the Year. And by the way, um, if you're wondering – why we haven't at CBS Sports put out our awards, player of the year, coach of the year, all that stuff. It's because we we try to take into account as much of the season as we reasonably can. And so we don't do we don't announce those things until after the Elite Eight before the final four. Um because we just over the years have realized that if you go earlier than that, uh, A, you'll just be like everybody else, but B, you're going to miss some stuff. Um I, I think there are some all-America teams that didn't have John Morant as a first-team All-American. Mm -hmm. How stupid would you have looked after he, what he did in that opening round of the NCAA tournament? It, because it, it sort of um, highlighted everything he'd been doing all season. You couldn't just chalk it up to, yeah, but he did it in the OVC when he does it um, on the NCAA tournament stage and in the way that he did it. So we'll, we'll get to all of that. But my point is this. I, I think at this moment I'd vote for Chris Beard. But you cannot overstate what Matt Painter's done at Purdue. He lost four starters. Four starters. And I talked to Matt about this in the preseason, talked to Carson Edwards about this in the preseason. It was going to be basically Carson Edwards taking on even a bigger role and then everybody else, literally everybody else on the team, having a different role. And the I and and you and I talked about this. I believe on the podcast. I know off of the podcast. Because some people had Carson Edwards preseason national player of the year. And we didn't do that. We went with R.J. Barrett, which I still think is probably the, the uh, uh, Zion's the pick. But if you're picking between R.J. and Carson, you probably still go with R.J. Barrett. But the reason we didn't go with Carson Edwards isn't because we didn't think he'd be awesome. It's because we didn't think Purdue would be good enough. At least I didn't think Purdue would be good enough to make him a legitimate National Player of the Year candidate. And as we sit here now on March 25th, he is awesome coming off an unbelievable uh, unbelievable performance and produce good enough sweet 16 team with a chance to to go to elite eight maybe even a final four you are correct i had purdue outside of the top 40 in my one to 353 to start the season painter's done a good job painter barnes who actually won the usbwa coach of the year award that was announced on monday and beard um those are really, I think, your your top three. A lot of good candidates, most of whom are still coaching in the tournament, but uh, but we agree on that. We got one more region to get to, GP, here. Yeah, and another National Coach of the Year candidate um, is in this region. It's the Midwest region, and uh, that coach is Kelvin Sampson at Houston. Uh, Kentucky eliminated Wofford, and Houston got past Ohio State. So it's the Wildcats and Cougars in one game, North Carolina-Auburn in the other Leaky likes to play with it. That UNC-Auburn game looks like a lot of fun. If you're asking me um, what's the most entertaining game uh, of the Sweet 16, I might go North Carolina-Auburn. Yeah, the over-under on that is an absurd number. It's like 164 or something like that, GP. Like crazy. No, that can be very, very entertaining. Um Auburn turns teams over more than anyone in the country. Uh, really good at stealing the ball. Loves to shoot the three. UNC's going to go, go, go. Uh, that is going to be highly entertaining. Carolina didn't – it got the weird push from my own and then it pulled away. Never really threatened by Washington. Um, and then Auburn, 
I didn't watch the Auburn-Kansas game because I was in Hartford, so I didn't get a chance to see any of that. But every time I looked up, Auburn was like clearly in command, so I can't speak to what played out there. Uh, Kansas, after just knocking out Northeastern and CAA Luka, um, was not able to keep it competitive against Auburn, who, by the way, so Auburn a year ago loses by like 31 in the second round of Clemson. Uh, quite the turnaround for this team, uh, which you could argue from a roster standpoint wasn't really an upgrade at all from where it was a year ago, and yet here it is. It's uh, it's playing much better a year removed. So good on them. UNC versus Auburn. Well, it's super interesting with Auburn because last season they have an amazing regular season mm-hmm. and then get just run out of the NCAA tournament. And this season, the regular season was it was good, but it wasn't great. Um, especially not until they won the um, SEC tournament. Like, going into the SEC tournament, Auburn was just like, all right. I mean, they, yeah, they're safely in the field, but they haven't really done anything all year. And then they go into the NCAA tournament, they just look awesome. That is the nature of this sport. It is the nature, and that's, but that's also why I like the tournament a lot. But, yes, in fact, the only two teams, uh, fourth or better, seeded not to break through, K-State and Kansas, both out of the Sunflower State. Bottom half of the Midwest, Houston. In the Sweet 16 for the first time since 84, five slam Majama. Uh, the American Athletic Conference gets a team through. UCF couldn't do it. Temple couldn't do it. Cincinnati couldn't do it. Houston, the best team in that conference the entire season, does get through and does so convincingly. Had no issue with Georgia State. Had no issue with Ohio State. And then Wofford, Kentucky. I watched that game. Here's You mentioned what you did with Auburn. How about this, Parrish? This is the tournament. The most prolific three-point shooter in the history of the sport goes on to have the worst three-point shooting performance in the history of the tournament. Fletcher <laughs> McGee has made more threes than anyone, was 0 for 12. That's the worst uh, three-point shooting performance by anyone ever because there never, no one had ever taken as many as 12 threes and not made any of them. I, I submit to you that had he made even two of them, the outcome very well could have been different. If you get one or two of those in the final four minutes, Paris, you just don't know how that's going to go. Wofford could not buy those buckets. Good on Kentucky to win for, in winning. They move along. I took a chance putting Wofford in the Sweet 16. Um, Got to be so frustrating. Credit to Kentucky defensively, but Wofford just – and Kentucky was a factor in some of this, but some of those threes, Wofford, it just hits on every other in every other game. It didn't. Uh, they came close, did those Terriers. Congrats on a huge season. I have no predictions for the 2019-2020 Terriers in terms of their quad standing just yet. Save it, save it for October. But uh, good on Mike Young. They came close, but McGee, that's his final college game, and that's just a really sour way to go out. Yeah, I mean, even Fletcher said afterwards, like, I went 0 of 12. If I make three, if I go 3 of 12, shoot 25%, we we, we might win the game. We probably win the game. Um, and I know the math doesn't quite work. Like, just because you might have made more shots doesn't mean you would have won the game. But but his, his point remains solid. Like, he just could not make a shot. And some of that, a lot of that, I think, had to do with Kentucky. I, I saw Seth Davis, uh, our, our friend, uh, CBS Sports, um, tweeted that against you probably saw it as well, but I can't remember the exact teams. It was Kentucky, North Carolina, and I want to say Seton Hall, but let me make sure. Or maybe miss, maybe Kansas. It was Kansas. North, in games against North Carolina, Kansas, and Kentucky, uh, Fletcher McGee just shot the ball terribly. So that does suggest at least that um, he had trouble getting the shots off against high major opposition as opposed to what he was used to playing against but either way the most prolific three-point shooter in the history of division one men's basketball um goes out with about as as bad a shooting performance as as you could imagine and so that allows kentucky without pj washington um to move on Uh, they're going to get houston north carolina against auburn and we wait to see what what's you know the story with pj washington but as of today He's still in a hard cast. And as John Calipari has pointed out, you know, they can cut that off in five minutes. It's not the biggest deal in the world, but it does, you know, I, 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 Seth Davis, I'll go back to him, tweeted that um, he thinks P.J. Washington's done for the tournament based on what he's heard. And I, I don't know that uh, to be true, but I can imagine that being true. I could imagine it being true, but... That that is a it's a late Friday tip. Maybe the extra day helps. I don't know. Uh, it's not good when your best player is wheeling himself into the arena. Cameras <laughs> on CBS caught that. So on our next podcast, maybe we get more information. We'll wait and see. Calipari will have media availability between now and then, so we'll wait and see on that. But here we are. We got a well, we got a very good. Well, one thing on that that I just noticed in the way 
I think everybody listening to this podcast knows I've, I've probably from a, a journalist perspective, if that's even what I am anymore, uh, have spent more time around John Calipari than anybody else in this profession because I was his beat writer for, for, for four years. And, um, and, and four years where I had access to everything. At Kentucky, those dudes have no access whatsoever or very little access. I had access to – I was in every practice. I had him before practice, after practice. I flew with him, uh, drove with him. I, I was around him as much as I was around my wife for that period of time. And he's very good with words, very um, – he picks his words carefully. And if you saw the report from Jamie Erdahl, um, another Eye on College Basketball podcast listener, shout to Jamie, um, she said that John Calipari told her that it with P.J. Washington, it was a f- still a left foot sprain or right foot sprain, whatever foot it is, um, quote, as far as I know. And knowing John, you don't say as far as I know unless you're being intentionally vague. Like when he said, it's just a sprain as far as I know, why would he know exactly what it is? They've had specialists looking at this. Why would he have to put the qualifier on it as far as I know? Uh, I, You can speak better to that. As you said, you were in rooms with Calipari. Like it, it, just, it, just, it just struck me as not the normal yeah, way understood. people talk about injuries. Like you say, it's a torn ACL. It's a sprained ankle. It's a high ankle sprain. It's a Achilles strain. It's a left. It's a foot. It's a sprained foot. Far as I know. What do you mean, far as you know? How would you not know? Like you've got specialists looking at this. They tell you what it is. What do you mean, far? It just felt like a weird qualifier. It doesn't. To be clear, doesn't mean he will play or won't play. I don't know anything about anything when it comes to that specific thing. But it was a weird addition to. It. It, it was a weird qualifier. That's that. I'll just leave it at that. Fair enough. I got to do a radio show in three minutes. As far as you know. As far as I know. No, I absolutely know. It's going to start. Actually, it won't start with or without me. Like, if I'm not there, they just won't, like, they'll just keep running commercials. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> like, we have done that before, by the way. Like, I, I, I do most of my prep work at home. And so every once in a while, you know, I'll leave my house in plenty of time. But then there's a, you know. Two people are dead because of a car wreck on the interstate, and you're just stuck in traffic. And like, I I call my producer and I'm like, "Yo, I know you hate me because I should have come in two hours ago, but somebody's dead on the interstate. I'm looking at the body, and there's no way to get around the wreck without running over the body. And that seems not only distasteful, like just um inappropriate, but also illegal. And so like, I'm not there till four twelve. And we're just running commercials till four twelve, and people are like tweeting nonstop. GP, when's your show gonna start? So um, it will. It won't start without me, but um, if I can walk across the hall and knock it out, I probably should. So um, shouts to Devin Downey, shouts to Chester, South Carolina, shouts to Terry M. F. and Deagle, he's a legend. Shouts to Larnell. If you have subscribed to the Iron College Basketball Podcast, like those pleasant people in Hartford. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you haven't, please go do that uh, via Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to get um, the latest episodes in your um, phone as quickly as possible. So you do that, and then we're going to talk to you again on Wednesday, and we'll look more ahead to the Sweet 16 as opposed to looking slightly ahead and also back. We'll focus strictly on the Sweet 16 games, what predictions uh, for all of them. So be here on Wednesday. We'll be here on Wednesday. Till then, take care.